As most of you know, I have been an epiculturist now, sorry, I'm losing my voice, for almost 30 years. And if you've been around at all, you will know that I am an ethical culture fanatic, that this is my religion through and through. But every now and again, my heart is deeply moved by the traditions of other faiths. And each time the year rounds again to fall, I turn my attention to the Jewish High Holy Days. Unlike other Jewish holidays, which celebrate an agricultural season or an event in history, the High Holy Days celebrate the ability of a human being to change and to grow. On Rosh Hashanah, with this year began on Friday at sundown and ends tonight, the Jewish New Year started. They call it the birthday of the world, the beginning again of everything. It begins with the blowing of a shofar, a ram's horn, and the sound that comes out of it is only dependent on one's voice. There are no notes. It's just the breath of life. It is a loud and haunting sound. Some of those sounds are held longer and more plaintively than others, others shorter and more frenzied or chaotic. And together, the calls of the shofar are to wake us up, wake us up from our slumber, they pierce our armor, that internal armor that we put up to avoid hearing the call of our own best selves. Now, a Christian preacher would yell, repent! But they blow this wonderful horn. It's a wake-up call. And now, 10 days from now, Jews will observe Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement when they force themselves to consider what it would really take to live in a brand new world. The days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are called the days of awe. Now, like all ancient festivals, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, responds to deep human needs, needs that probably haven't changed at all since the beginning of time. Reconciliation and atonement, or at-one-ment, is something we all long for. We are all estranged from something, something that cuts us off from our own better self, something that cuts us off from others, and sometimes from our communities. Now, I know that some of us in this room come from a Jewish heritage. Others are not. But with Judaism in ethical culture's genetic code, I thought it might be interesting to see if there is anything that speaks to us from that tradition. There is no doubt that our founder, Felix Adler, who was a Jew who trained for the rabbinate, was heavily influenced by his childhood faith. 
Now, there are several parts to this observance, and it begins with a process of taking inventory. It's kind of a spiritual and ethical inventory. Some people pull out their checkbook or their Palm Pilot or their Blackberry for this in order to look at how they have spent their time and their money this year, because that does say a lot about who we are. And so it's an important piece to this endeavor. And it's hard to sometimes look at that inventory because we can get so overwhelmed with regrets. I should have, I wish I had. It doesn't feel always great to closely examine our, our, ourselves, and it's easier to just re sweep those regretful feelings under the rug. But religion is not about making us feel better. It is about helping us be better, to own our full humanity, beautiful as well as broken. And so this first part is to look at what is. But think about how many of us right now are spending a good chunk of our lives tied to our computers, our cell phones, our Palm Pilots, our Blackberries, our iPod Nanos, our Facebook pages, our Twitters. Am I already out of date? <laughs> don't know any more than that. And we're buried in email, most of us. We pass words back and forth like automatons, like, hi, how are you? Fine, and you? As we walk past each other, not waiting for an answer, not really wanting to have one because it might slow us down. And in all of this, we take ourselves far, far away from our hearts. I know that some of us do have the capacity and are resisting technical conveniences, and yet still rarely experience the poetry of deep, heartfelt, honest conversation face to face. Is it really any wonder then that we in this world that we're in right now can feel adrift, cut off, and even in the midst of a crowd, even in the midst of this hall, feel very much alone. How often last week did, you, did someone offer you something from their heart? And how often did you offer something from your heart? There are three questions that the Jewish people ask themselves at this time each year. Can I change as a human being? Can forgiveness be real in my life? And can I be accountable? Can I change as a human being? Can forgiveness be real in my life? And can I be accountable for my actions? And then they practice the answers. For 30 days before Rosh Hashanah, they practice. They practice the answers to those three questions. And when I heard that, I was reminded of the words on the site of the New York Ethical Society building, which says that the aim of ethical culture is the ever-increasing knowledge, love, and practice of the right. As Adler taught, being in right relationship requires both determination and practice. So for 30 days, the Jews practice asking themselves three things, those three things. 
that come then to the days of awe. When what changes in my behavior, they ask themselves then, do I have to make that would be more aligned with who I imagine I ought to be? These are good questions. These are good questions that fit with who we are. They practice forgiveness, which means picking up the phone and saying, hey, a while back you were trying to tell me something important during the coffee hour, but I brushed you off. I'm sorry. Or, you know, I failed to thank you for helping me with that problem I was having. I'm sorry about that, and thank you. Or I realize now that I was dis disrespectful to you in that meeting. And then they ask for forgiveness. Now, it's not about guilt. It's about honesty. It's not about forgiving and then forgetting, which is always the worry with forgiving, that it also means that you can just let it go and forget. It's about forgiving and remembering and repairing. And then finally, you deeply consider your own behavior and how you are accountable for what has happened in this past year you draw out of yourself an honest picture of what's happened and your role in what happened. You say to yourself, hmm, yes, I am guilty. I have not listened well. I have not spoken out for causes I love or against the evils I see. I have been judgmental and rude. I have ignored you. It's about transformation, the hope of transformation. It's nothing magical, nothing supernatural, but the kind of transformation that comes choice by choice, by awkward and sometimes painful choice. We come face, to the face with the fact that though we may have come from difficult circumstances earlier in life, we are the way we are, testy, defensive, angry, underhanded, compassionate or loving, at least in some part, because we choose to be. It's not easy, at least I've never found it to be so, this willingness to see our wrongs and make amends, this willingness to know the pain We've suffered and then to nonetheless forgive. Neither side of that equation is easy. But I don't know about you, but when I manage to muster up the courage and do it, I feel as if I have become untethered from some horrible weight, a weight that I might not have ever dreamed I could put down. Now, I struggle personally. This is my confession to you. I do struggle with forgiveness at times. But I also know that getting past it only alienates me further. That not getting past it only alienates me further, makes me lonely. Now, that's a Freudian slip. And where, 
is the joy in that, the joy in putting up those walls that further keep us separated. The central commitment of Yom Kippur is teshuva, a wonderful Hebrew word that literally means to return. It means returning to the true self that you once knew yourself to be, remembering the person you once knew yourself to be, or hope in time to be. That beautiful, mixed-up, heartbroken at times, radiant, fully human self. And after asking yourself those three questions, can I change? Can I forgive? Can I be accountable? And then asking yourself one more question. With the book of life open, what chapter in my life will come next? One of the prayers of Yom Kippur talks about the construction of a new heart. What would make it livable inside your heart right now? when someone has betrayed you and you're holding that resentment? What could, could make it livable in your heart when you're hurt or when you've hurt someone with intention or not, whether they even know it or not, by something you've done or you have left undone? What could reconstruct your heart? A new one that will carry you now between this moment and death. Yom Kippur asks us to look both at the state of our life right now and to be prepared to die. It is not, however, a somber occasion. It is actually a time of joy because we all have the capacity to begin again. I'm going to tell a story that I told once several years ago because it's a story, I think we all carry certain stories in our heart that, that mean something to us. So please bear with me if you remember it. In Nyala, a remote town which borders the desert region of Darfur in Sudan, where genocide has killed nearly 400,000 people over the past four years, a transformation, a revolution, a tipping point, really, has occurred. And who's to say that it did not become the watershed that at least someday will change the course of history, even if it is ever so slightly in that desperate, desperate country. Older women in the Sudan, those upon whom the title of Hamaka, Hakama has been conferred, are regarded as the wise elders, and they are honored for their wisdom, their special gifts, and their insights. Their special gift is ritual singing. They gather to sing lyrical poems, songs of love and birthing, coming of age, marrying and dying. More than simply poets and singers, however, 
The Hakamas are community judges, respected and revered for their position for which they train their whole lives. And along with those songs of celebration, they also sing songs of war. Before the murderous Janjaweed militiamen ride out to battle, it has been these women's custom to sit down together on straw mats in the presence of the Hakama, who would strengthen their resolve by stirring them up with songs of bravery and conquest and terror. But just a few years ago, a core group of these women had a change of heart, saying that in the face of so much violence, so much bloodshed, so much death, they are wishing that they could take back their songs. Eventually, they were joined by all of the Hakama who tearfully and publicly acknowledged the powerful role that they had played, played in the brutality that has destroyed and displaced millions. They still sing songs of bravery and tribal pride, but the songs which they sing to the Janjaweed have changed. From the celebration of merciless brutality to its condemnation, they sing mournful songs now of grief and of shame. And because of their honored and a pivotal tribal role, this transformation carries with it enormous impact. I don't know what has become of that circle of women. I recently Googled them and heard them singing or chanting. But I do know that in that change of heart, they turned around their corner, their little corner of the world. We live most of our days, says the poet May Sarton, in strained relationship with our past, not empowered by our experience, but rather hampered by our own limitations, our, our old visions of ourselves. We need to remind ourselves, says the poet, that life begins anew each day, and the amazing gift of life is the daily rebirth of radical human freedom the freedom to begin again, to define our lives anew, beginning here and starting now. From what I see and what I experience in my own life, the forgiveness that is hardest for most of us is the forgiveness we must give ourselves. I'm one of those people, and I've talked to you and know that some of you are as well, who lie awake at night remembering all the wrongs I have done, all the words misspoken, unintentional hurts that I may have caused, all the ways that I could have done better that day. Each of us can think of ways that we fail to forgive ourselves for not being good enough, not kind enough, not smart enough, not pretty enough, not strong enough, not sane enough, not funny enough, or focused enough, not willing to help with the coffee cleanup on Sunday mornings, 
not organized enough, not technically adept enough. We fail to forgive ourselves for many things, for being confused instead of understanding right away, for failing to notice how beautiful the moon is because we are looking into our blackberries instead of up to the sky. The tradition of the days of awe holds that if we are, come to, we are to come to Yom Kippur, when the book of life is still open, we can begin again, turn to a new page, but we must honestly look first at all the ways we do not now forgive ourselves, and then with courage, because sometimes it takes great courage we lay it all down, and we remember who we really are. The question then becomes, will you begin again with this new day and with all of its possibilities stretched out before you? Or will you continue exactly as before, dragging your baggage behind you? There is a beautiful prayer that is recited at the end of Yom Kippur. You can search for it, if you like, in the Bible or in the Torah, but you will not find it in Scripture. Nor will you find it in any synagogue in the first 1,500 years of synagogue history. And yet, the Kol Nidra is the heart of the High Holy Days. It came about this way, in a very human way. It came about in the days just before Ferdinand and Isabella expelled all the Jews and Muslims from Spain, back in 1492. Men and women and children were being tortured unless they would convert to Christianity. But the truth is, conversions cannot be forced. The human heart cannot be forced. And so the idea of the Kol Nidre prayer arose in the minds of the rabbis, and once each year they would call together the Jews who were in hiding to a secret meeting. All of the Jews who had been forced to convert, who had made promises and vows to be loyal to the church, came to have those vows canceled, as if they had never been made at all. The Kol Nidra prayer is not merely about forgiveness, as so many of us think, but rather it is an invitation to change our habits, the unspoken vows that we have made to live lives that are not in the best interest of ourselves or of the world. These are the habits of competition, of overspending, habits of using up the majority of the world's resources, habits of thinking that our way of life is so superior that we don't even need to try to appreciate another culture's truth, habits of self-righteousness, habits of looking for quick answers rather than listening and paying attention to someone's underlying needs. 
habits of dismissing others who are different. These are the vows we have taken to a popular culture that so often has values that are different than our own. Lately, as I have watched, as you have, the deplorable behavior at the town meetings unfold, and also continue to watch the new threats to civilization in the Middle East, I remembered reading a study by scientists in Switzerland that showed that acts of revenge, and even thinking of revenge, triggers a response in the part of the brain where, where pleasure happens. Revenge activates the part of the brain in the, in the same way that it is activated when a person thinks he will soon be paid some money, or when he takes cocaine, or when he is in love. The study said nothing about any pleasures triggered by forgiveness or beginning again. And so you can see what we are up against. The desire for revenge, evolutionarily speaking, trumps our desire for right relationship, for atonement, for transformation. And worse, it appears to be hardwired. So you can see how challenging this whole thing is and why spending a whole month practicing the answers to those questions seems like a pretty good idea. Rosh Hashanah ends tonight and Ramadan, the month dedicated to, in Islam to the transformation of the self, similar in some ways and not in others, only just ended yesterday. And I couldn't help but think, despite what that scientific study said, that for the past month at least, there have been millions of Jews and Muslims the world over who have not been warring with each other, who were not in, engaged in acts of violence or revenge, but instead have been engaged in some prayerful practice of rigorous self-examination, repentance, atonement, forgiveness, and renewal. And I wondered whether this will be the year when all those ancient and forgotten animosities will finally be laid down. A portion of the Torah that will be read this week says, I set before you this day life and prosperity, death and adversity. Choose life, the Torah instructs. Choose life. I learned that at the end of a Yom Kippur service, it actually doesn't come to an end. As the darkness settles in, people stay on meditating on the year just past and maybe many years before that, on the year ahead and on the people with whom they are going through life. Each of them stays alone until finally, as the darkness has descended, he or she is ready to say a final prayer that in part says, 
Be this hurt of body our soul, of honor our prop or property, whether they were forced to hurt or did so willingly, whether by accident or intent, whether by word or deed, I forgive them because they are human. May no one feel guilty on my account. I am ready to take up myself the commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Here in ethical culture and in this community, we won't be hearing the blast of the shofar to wake us up any day soon. But every Sunday, we have something akin to that in our gathering together. Every Sunday when we come here, we share that instinct for repair and to turn again and come round right. We find it in our coffee hour when we break away from the person that we've known for years to welcome, to truly welcome a newcomer. We find it in our Sunday school when our children are given messages like you heard from the story today. We find it when a person in our community is in need and we drop everything to be with them. We find it in our deepening circles where people bring their whole selves to the table, deeply listening to each other's truths. We find it as we bring new direction and voice to our social justice commitments. We find it in the spirit of our new year-long painting sunlight program where we will see ourselves individually and collectively as the artists we all are. We find it here and everywhere whenever we let our hearts be opened to our full humanity. Not perfect, but flawed and yet wonderful. The Christian theologian C.S. Lewis once wrote, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglement. Lock it up safe in the casket of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. What has been set before us this day, it says in the Torah, on this day and every day is life and prosperity, death and adversity. Choose life. Turn to that bright canvas of a new year or a new day and begin like an artist to write a new song. <laughs>